the spiritual realm all around us, there is a kingdom. And before the foundation of this world was laid, the king of that kingdom has come to promise you an inheritance, a birthright. He has laid out for you a path of blessing to follow for you to do many exploits for that heavenly kingdom that is as real or perhaps even more real than this very world that we see in the physical. We read in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. Verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Birthright in its simple form simply means inheritance like someone who inherits from his dad possessions. But I want to submit to you that there is also a spiritual inheritance for us all. And in that sense, the birthright simply means that which is rightfully ours, according to what God birthed us for. But see that birthright that God has given us has stipulations. Ultimately, we have choices that we can make today and in our lives that will have permanent, lasting effects. The world would tell you no matter what you do, everything will work out the way it's supposed to. But the question is, is what is it for things to work out the way it's supposed to? Because if for things to work out the way it's supposed to is for you to live out your birthright and grab a hold of all the opportunities that God has for you, then doing whatever you want isn't how you get to that. It's by living according to his purpose for your life, because ultimately God does give us the opportunity in our birthright to be blessed. But our decisions will determine whether he ends up giving us our birthright or giving it to someone else, because we must be available to God and his covenant. We must be available to the spouse that God has called us to marry. We must be available for the ministry he has called us to. We must be available for the spiritual growth he has called us to. If we are unavailable, in other words, we're busy with things of this world, losing our birthright, squandering it, detesting it even, we may very well lose out on it. See, you are either a part of God's kingdom or you're against God's kingdom or you do not care about God's kingdom. Such is how it was with a man called Esau, who despised his birthright, according to the scriptures. See, God came to Abraham 
and made a promise to Abraham that there will be a Abrahamic covenant that will have children as many as the stars in the heavens, that this lineage would be blessed. And so Abraham has a child called Isaac and Isaac has a child called Esau and Esau is about to lose his most prized possession. We read about this story in Genesis 25, verse 29. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I'm exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die of what use is a birthright to me. But Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Then Esau despised his birthright. Have you ever felt extremely hungry or extremely tired? where all that's running through your carnal mind is, I just need some food. I just need some rest. I can, can I just lay my head on a pillow? Then it feels like if you could have that need met, everything in the world will be fine and nothing else matters, right? And this is how Esau felt. He felt hungry and he felt, felt tired. And so, but he felt that, well, nothing in this world matters to me more than having this carnal need met now. And impulsively, Esau goes and he says even to his brother, I will give you my birthright if I can just have some food. But once we have a taste of that thing which we were craving so much, maybe that lentil stew or, or maybe some rest, Afterwards, we realize after the first bite, well, that was nice, but it wasn't, you know, I, I was really hungry. And now that I've eaten a little bit, I, I, you know, I realize that I wanted it more than what it was really worth. And so in the same way, what ends up happening is we can easily start valuing that which is a temporary satisfaction more than that which is eternal. Do you value anything temporal more than the eternal? Another thing we find about Esau is kind of a character flaw, a certain characteristic. He's really a complainer, an exaggerator or even a drama queen. See, when he comes and he says, I'm about to die. Really? But yet, because of how impulsive and exaggerated he was in his personality, when it came to his victim mentality that he seems to be having, it was easy for him to exaggerate his need of filling his hunger, this temporary need, having it met and trading away the eternal impact of the Abrahamic covenant, which has been passed down to him. You see, he thought that he was outsmarting his brother Jacob. He thought, oh, well, you know, I'm getting what I want. So I'm the winner here. 
But in the process of thinking that, oh, poor me, poor me, but I'm getting what I want. He actually lost it all. God has not called us to become victims in our mentality. He has called us to become victors because of what he has promised us, because of the covenant he has made available to us. You see, brothers and sisters, the only victims truly are those who trade away their inheritance for a cup of stew. And they are made a victim by no one but by themselves. See, your birthright is more valuable than anything, even escaping death itself, because someone has died for you to have it. Yeshua lay down his life for you to be able to have covenant with the father. And when we decide that there's anything in this world that is more valuable in that than than that covenant, then we are not worthy of it. And see, when we say, well, I'm going to die, so let me rather give up the birthright so I can live. What we are saying is, let me rather live for this world and be dead to God. But God has said that whoever decides to lose his life for my sake will gain it in simple terms. To care for your birthright is to care for God and to not care for your birthright is to not care about God because your true value and purpose, why you are here is only there if there is someone who has created you with purpose and value. Otherwise, we are like the dust and we turn to dust. But I want to submit to you that as we read about how Esau therefore despised his birthright, we are seeing a contrast with how Jacob desperately wanted it. While we are on Earth, we have a calling and a purpose to fulfill. We have something to do. And if we despise that as Esau did, God will give that birthright to someone who is eager to do something with it. See, if we say to God, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do, God, if when I get married, I'll do what you want me to do, God, when I get this job, God, I'll do what you want me to do, God, when, when I get into full time ministry, God, I'll, I'll do what you want me to do when this and that happens in my future. God, when you start giving me what I want, then I'll do what you want me to do. We are despisers of our own birthright. When we do not grab a hold desperately, eagerly with this, with the hunger that Esau had for the lentil stew, we need to take that towards God's birthright instead of for the things of the world. And then we will find ourselves not like Esau, but totally satisfied in the father. See, Esau's story ends in a way that I want none of you to experience with regret. We read in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 or 16, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, 
he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. The scriptures are warning us that we can have decisions that have permanent outcomes, whereby it is too late to repent of a certain decision we have made. Once God gave the birthright and the blessing to Jacob, it was too late. But at the same time, God redeems the time. In other words, if we ought to repent for the rest of our lives that are ahead of us, he will restore things back to us and he will quicken our 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 calling or birthright and he will allow us to have that which was used against us turned around against the enemy's kingdom. He will turn all things around for his glory and good. But would it not be so much better to be young? Would it be not be so much better to be at Jacob's place of God? I want to be a part of your covenant. I want to be a part of your birthright. You see, I remember when I was young, a teenager, I just started thinking about God and the world more and what hit me. And, I, and it was outside of externally from this teaching or this story. I just remember thinking, and this was the Holy Spirit I could see now that I thought to myself, well, there's this world, there's this God, and I, and I must be here for some reason. I don't know what that is fully yet. I don't understand it, but truly my life's purpose has to be. I need to figure out what it is and who he is so I can accomplish the birth rights that he has given me so I don't give up my right to the devil because, see, the devil want to steal your rights that God has promised and given you because he wants. And the only way he can do that is if he gets you to sell it. If he gets you to give it up of your own accord, you need to decide of yourself. I value the world more and I will bow down to the devil and what he can give me more. I will want I want the kingdoms in this world more than to be a part of the kingdom of God. You know, what's really awesome about our God is that even though I can look at myself and realize I have many faults and imperfections and issues at the same time. It is because I have called upon his name. It is because my voice has cried out, God, I want to be a part of your covenants. God, I want to be a part of your kingdom. Because I have called on the name of Yeshua, I can be saved. I can be included in relationship with the father. See, Jacob, Esau's brother, he was not perfect either. Jacob, well, and he kind of took Esau's birthright by his own plans. And he would after that even take Esau's blessing. We read about it in Genesis 27, 6. Rebecca said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats, so I, I may prepare from them delicious food for your father, such as he loves. 
and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So Jacob, he listens to his mother, Rebecca, who is basically instructing him to steal the blessing from his brother Esau that his father Isaac was about to give Esau. And Jacob goes ahead and what Isaac says, the father is quite profound. He says in Genesis 27, 22. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands or the hands of Esau. Because Jacob went to impersonate Esau to get the blessing, he had hair put on his hands so he could be as hairy as his brother Esau. So that when Isaac, who is not seeing well, feels, thinks that he's Esau. This is quite deceptive, is it not? And that's why he says, you, you, I, I, I hear the voice of Jacob, but I feel Esau. What Jacob was doing was what he was saying and what he was doing was not in alignment. What we say and what we do must align. But Jacob going in and impersonating Esau, having Esau's hands as it felt like, but while having still his own voice, what he was doing was he was impersonating his brother, who we know by the scriptures was a sinner. And Jacob was now also sinning, but Jacob retained the voice of Jacob, the voice of God. Oh, I want to be a part of your covenant. God, I want to be I want to have the birthright. God, I want to be included in your kingdom. And because he had this inward desire, God still had mercy. And so in the same way, God has mercy on us that even when we mis make mistakes, we sin, we fall, we even impersonate to be someone who we're not supposed to be. See, God has not called us to be Esau. God has not called us to be someone else. He has called us to be who he has called us to be, to walk in the birthright that we have been given to not compare ourselves with others. But if we keep our eyes fixed on him and even when we make mistakes, he still has promised us that we can be included in that covenant. See, Jacob's difference was even though he had the same kind of sins and mistakes as his brother Esau, he did not despise the birthright. In fact, he desperately wanted it later, even wrestling with an angel for the blessing saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. But even though Jacob is one of the patriarchs, as we call them, the Bible does not expect us to defend all of their actions because they are not our model of perfection. Yeshua is. In fact, the patriarchs needed salvation just as much as we do. That is why it was written about them in Hebrews 11, 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Abram, Isaac and Jacob were saved and included in God's covenants and, and the birthrights that God had for them, not because of their works, 
but because they were justified by faith as we are, because they believed in him and pursued him. They did have works that confirmed their faith, but their works were not perfect enough to save themselves. But perhaps their sins were recorded and preserved in the text for us to teach us that not only can blessing be generational from Abraham, Isaac to Jacob, but sin can be as well. I want to take you through a few of the faults in the lineage of Abraham. We see, for example, that there was lying and deceptions. We see how Abraham lied about Sarah being his sister instead of the reality of her being his wife. He lied to both Pharaoh and Abimelech in Genesis 12 and Genesis 20. And like father, so as it is with the son, we see Isaac lies the same about his wife, Rebekah, being his sister when he speaks to Abimelech. The seat that they had on their lips was because of their unbelief and fear, unbelief that God would be able to protect them because of their beautiful wives they have been given as a blessing. Imagine that God gives you a blessing and then you're afraid of of getting hurt because of it. And so you lie about the blessings God has given you. And then we see Jacob gains this birthright wrongfully as he buys it from Esau, as we read in Genesis 25, or how Jacob gained the blessing wrongfully when he lied about his identity in Genesis 27. What about how Abraham and Sarah conspired ultimately to make a plan to fulfill God's promise? They wanted to expedite the promise of God because it was taking too long and Sarah was only getting older. And so they found Hagar in order for Abraham to have a child by her, even though God said the promised child will come through Sarah. What about Joseph? to whom God promised that his brothers will bow down before him. But yet what Joseph goes to do is he tells his brothers that they need to go bow down before him, boasting against them in sin and pride. But even despite all of these wrongful acts, these sins, God did not despise them or leave them. He continued to fulfill his promises despite their unbelief. Could it be that we sometimes face the same, that we feel like we need to lie for God, that we need to lie in order for God to have his his blessings and his promises fulfilled in our lives? Could it be that we try to exalt ourselves because, well, God said that he would bless us in that way? Could it could we try sometimes to make our own plans for God's plans to be fulfilled? See, that is the big danger, because all of these sinned regarding God's promises hoping to do it their own way outside of God's way. Sometimes it's very good that God doesn't tell us what is in our future. 
If we know the blessings that he has for us and the birthright he has prepared for us, which in time he will reveal to us, it can be tempting for us to take it and use it as a means of boasting or a means of getting there on our own terms. We see, for example, Joseph, who after being told his brothers would bow down before him, he boasts about it. He thinks, well, how can I get that to happen by my own plans and means? You see, we can get uh, an idea of God says, oh, I'm going to be a worship leader one day. Well, then I woke up to the pastor and tell him, well, God says I need to be the worship leader. Or God shows you, you know, you're going to become a preacher. Well, you go up to the pastor, he says, Pastor, I'm going to preach next weekend because God says I'm going to be a preacher. Or, or you go and God shows you, you're going to be a businessman and you're going to be very successful for God's glory. And you go and you start telling everyone, well, I'm going to be a successful businessman for God's glory. You see how easy it can be to see the inheritance that God has given us and act on it in a boastful manner. Be careful. God has spoken about such things, and he has told us in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God's timing is the best timing and the only timing that should matter. So let God be the one who at his time reveals to you your birthright at his timing reveals your inheritance at his time reveals your callings and what is going to happen and what you ought to do in life. And at his timing, let him be the one to fulfill it at his timing, because ultimately God opens the doors. He must be the one who makes it happen. He is the God of wonders. And so if there is a wonder that is needed for this blessing to come forth, then let him do it. Let him have the glory for it. And don't try and work it out on your own. Be available for him. Seek his face, but let him do it. Just as we see these sins carried over from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, making the same kind of mistakes over and over again. So we see the generational curse, how it can travel through a family lineage, how it can start with us and our kids repeat our mistakes, but how it can also stop with us and how when it comes to our decisions today, we can be the one to decide to break it so that our children do not struggle with the same. This is perhaps one of the most incredible inheritances we can give our children is to fight our battles spiritually and overcome. How often does it happen that our children start acting just the way we do and then we criticize them for it, but we don't even see the log that is in our own eye that we are the ones who have taught them this behavior. And then we never end up repenting for that. And then relationships are tarnished. But what God is calling us to is to look 
at introspection. Look at ourselves. Look at what we have done and how we have acted before we look at others, because then you can clearly help someone else when you have nothing in your own eye anymore. How can you help someone when you yourself make their mistakes and aren't in bondage to the very things they are in bondage to? Dear parents, this is important. And on the other hand, we also have to face the responsibility that not every decision that a child makes is the parent's responsibility. Cain and Abel had the same parents. The one came out justified before God and the other a murderer. God even warned Cain, saying in Genesis 4, 7, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. It's desirous contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Regardless of what Cain was taught, even by God himself, Cain made his bed. And in the same way with Jacob and Esau, ultimately, it was told even to their mother, Rebecca, that they are two different people. And they will have their own decisions that they make that are going to look very different. Esau despising his birthright and Jacob cherishing it. God tells Rebecca, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And so the same can happen to us. There can be more than one nation in our wombs, if you will. And the children that we have have their own decisions to make as to which God they will serve, which which birthright they will grab a hold of, the one that the world uh, promises them or the one that they were created for by the father. They will be either a nation that cherishes the birthright or a nation that despises the birthright. And in conclusion, How we approach our birthright is everything. Will we approach our life and everything that God has for us with a need to have control over everything like Abraham and Sarah or Joseph or 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 Jacob having to work it all out ourselves? Or will we be ones who say, God, I will believe that you can do a miracle and work this out your way at your time and with your purposes? Will we be willing to give up control to our father? Because that's what true faith is. You see, unbelief and the need to be able to control everything is driven by our fear that God will not come through for us. And when we are driven by fear, we will make sin flourish in our lives. And we should not be shocked if it continues in the lives of our children. But if we decide to take a stand and believe in faith to give up control, God will honor that and do everything according to his purposes. And that's the perfect way that yields no consequence. See, brothers and sisters, I will leave you with what Yeshua told us about this. He said in Matthew 19, 28, Yeshua said to them, truly, I say to you in the new world to come, when the son of man will sit 
on his glorious throne. You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. God has inheritance for you, but it's going to mean that you will need to give up things of this world and that would make you less than those who seem to be greatest in this world. But the least will be greatest in the coming kingdom. I want to be the least now. And that is what he has called us all to, to be the least in this world, because his kingdom is upside down, that in our weakness, he is glorified. Father, I pray for everyone who is listening to this, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the inheritance you've left us, the birthrights. God, I pray that you would, at your time and your seasons, show these birthrights to everyone listening. And Lord, that you would work it all out according to your perfect purpose. God, I pray that you would show us where we need to repent regarding how we have tried to work out these things on our own, where we have tried to take control out of your hands. God, we want to give control back to you this day so that we can have things go well with us. I just hear the Holy Spirit speak. Many of you have things going wrong and wrong and wrong and wrong because you're the one who's trying to drive and the Holy Spirit is trying to be in control of your lives, but you have not allowed him to have control because you want it at all because you are making decisions out of fear. But God is calling you to make decisions from the place of being seated with him in heaven, in faith, in belief that he is actually as in charge as we like to say he is. Father, I pray, Lord, that you would forgive us of our iniquities. And Lord, I pray you would bring a multitude of blessing upon all the families listening to this and their children and their children's children for your blessing stretches to the thousands of generations. We pray all this in the name of Yeshua. Thank you for joining me. I want to say a special thank you to our partners who have made this teaching possible and every other teaching this month. I absolutely appreciate you guys and love you. I'll see you guys in the next video. Many blessings and shalom.